Welcome to The Compliance Files, brought to you by Compliance Institute. The Compliance Files is a unique podcast series, giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, bringing challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere. Hello and welcome everybody to the Compliance Files podcast of the Compliance Institute. The Compliance Files is a unique podcast series giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, bringing challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere. I'm Stephen Roberts, Vice Chair of the Compliance Institute's Data Protection and Information Security Working Group, and it's a great pleasure for me to host this podcast. The Data Protection Act 2018, which became law on 25th May 2018, established a new Data Protection Commission, or DPC, in Ireland. The Commission is the National Independent Supervisory Authority with responsibility for upholding the fundamental right of the individual in the EU to have their personal data protected. The DPC is an autonomous regulator with responsibility for regulating both private and public sector organisations. Its mission is to uphold the consistent application of data protection law through engagement, supervision, and enforcement, and driving compliance with data protection legislation. At the end of February 2022, Commissioner for Data Protection, Helen Dixon, launched the Irish Data Protection Commission's annual report for 2021. At the launch of the report, Ms. Dixon commented, 2021 has been a year of strong regulatory results from the DPC, in which it delivered impactful and far-reaching outcomes for the protection of individuals' personal data. The GDPR is a strong framework law that demands accountability, fairness, and transparency from all organizations that process personal data. It is clear that data controllers in Ireland continue to improve their compliance efforts, but that higher standards of responsiveness to individuals seeking to exercise their rights are still needed in many sectors. The DPC will continue to target enforcement actions aimed at driving these necessary improvements in addition to publishing decisions and case studies on its website to guide data controllers in the application of the GDPR. Operationalizing the aims of the GDPR is an important work in progress for all of us and must continue." End quote. And on that note, I'm delighted to welcome as a guest on today's podcast, Graeme Doyle. Graeme is Deputy Commissioner and Head of Corporate Affairs media and communications with the Data Protection Commission. Within the corporate affairs function, Graeme is responsible for the DPC's finance, procurement, corporate services, governance and risk, staffing and training units. And he is a member of the DPC's audit and risk committee. Graeme also develops and manages the DPC's communication strategy, which includes extensive national and international media engagement, attending and speaking at events domestically and abroad, and delivering a comprehensive internal communications program for the DPC. Graeme previously held the roles of Head of Communications and Research at the Garda Síochána Ombudsman Commission and Student Universal Support Ireland, or SUSE. And he holds a graduate honour in public management, specialising in law and the administration of justice. Thank you, Graeme, for talking to me today. Not at all, Stephen. Thanks very much for having me on. Great. Well, look, we'll we'll jump straight in, Graeme. The first area really, I guess, is around engagement and supervision. What progress has been made on implementing the DPC's regulatory strategy for 2022 to 2027? 
Well, Stephen, as you know, um, the strategy that we we uh, we set out an ambitious vision for for what we're going to achieve um, over the next five years of what we believe is kind of a crucial evolution of data protection law and the regulation and also the culture around data protection um, amongst individuals, amongst data controllers and amongst various stakeholders. So we had uh, we conducted a lot of work and a lot of engagement with with various stakeholders in the development of the of the strategy. Um, And as you said yourself there, it's now in place since the start of 2022. It's a five year strategy. And we're already mobilizing quite a number of the paths, I suppose, towards achieving the priorities detailed um, in our strategy. And I suppose I just for the listeners just said out what those five strategic goals are that we have. Right. Uh, we say that we'll regulate consistently and effectively. Secondly, safeguard individuals and promote data protection awareness. Thirdly, prioritize the protection of children and other vulnerable groups. Fourth, bring clarity to stakeholders. And then finally, support organizations and drive compliance. So you already touched um, in the introduction there when you were speaking uh, about some of the stuff that Helen had said in the launch of the annual report um, earlier this year. So you've already touched on the likes of case studies. So one of the things that uh, had come through very strongly during our consultation um, for the strategy is the importance for um, organizations in particular um, for these case studies. We've always found um, when we've launched our annual reports every year, we include case studies in the reports and they always prove to be very popular and very, very useful um, for, for DPOs, compliance officers and, and, and the wider organizations. Yeah. So. In addition to our annual report uh, case studies, we're now on a quarterly basis uploading case studies to our website. So I really would encourage um, listeners to go and take a look at some of the case studies that are there. They're under our resources tab on the website at www.dataprotection.ie. And they really give you a real insight as to what the regulator of data protection here, our views and how we handle complaints that come in and how we deal with the various issues, whether they be access request complaints, whether they be complaints to do with the right of erasure, et cetera. Um, so again, I, I'd encourage people to go and look at those. We continue to develop guidance. Um, and one of the things that we had said, and I'll come to it now in a second, but one of the things that we had said in our strategy is around, you know, vulnerable um, people and children, because as you know yourself, Stephen, children were called out for the first time under the GDPR as meriting um, special protection. However, it was, it's pretty silent on how you actually do that. Um, So we've worked towards um, lots of guidance and in particular in the context of children, um, we did a a project for a couple of years, which again had a lot of stakeholder engagement that resulted in the publication of Child Fundamentals um document which which is on our website again for for listeners to go and see um and as part of that engagement um which is a real strategic focus for us as an organization but as part of the engagement we engage with adult stakeholders but really really importantly we engage with children themselves so we went into schools throughout the country we delivered lesson plans for schools throughout the country and for some of the the youth services etc and we, we gave in the lesson plans, but we also got feedback from over a thousand children in relation to um, their views on data protection and how they should be protected on, in particular in the online context. Right. So as I say, there's a fundamentals document there that's, that's on our website. And 
it is the it really is the start, I suppose, of a long journey that we have to to support uh, children. Um, you'll also be aware that we've completed a number of really important inquiries. So decisions have come through most recently in the Instagram case, and we might come back to that shortly. Um, we've also had decisions in WhatsApp. We've also had decisions here nationally in terms of CCTV and, and other, other organizations, so CCTV in the context of some of the local authorities and other organizations. And again, the case studies and the decisions um, are published on our website, and there's lots of learning in, in those for, for individuals. And then just in the context of children, again, the Instagram and obviously dealt with children, but we also have an inquiry into TikTok at the moment that is that, that's also into children. And then I suppose the final thing just to touch on at the moment is we, we, we mentioned in our regulatory strategy the importance of you know, utilizing media opportunities for, for engaging with individuals, with data controllers or organizations, and again, various stakeholders. So our annual report every year gives us, gives us a really strong platform to do that. So uh, myself and the commissioner would have done quite a lot of um, media back in February. But then on the big ticket items, such as the, the decisions that come through. So again, the recent Instagram decision, as an example, um, Helen was Helen Dixon was on the was on the, the radio and the television. Um, we did some stuff in, in the print media. And it's a good way of not only talking about the decisions themselves, but again, promoting the importance of, of data protection and, and trying to help uh, individuals to understand, to better understand what their what their rights are. So uh, a fair bit done so far, but still an awful lot more that we need to do um, over the coming, the coming four and a half years um, with the strategy. Um, but there's a really good, I, I, I kind of have a sense that's really strong, I suppose, foundation there now in terms of the mobilization that's already taken, taken place. Um, but we, 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 continue, we continue to, to work with it, um, as I say, as we move forward. Great. Yeah, no, there's a sense of certainly a real sense of momentum there from what you've, you've explained or outlined to us there, Graeme. And I guess a couple of things that just jump out to me uh, from, from what you were talking through there. Uh, I mean, I do find personally, I find the case studies in the annual report excellent because, as you say, it makes it tangible for people. Mm. Um, and it's something that you can show to other stakeholders in a business to, to give them a sense of where maybe other companies or businesses ha ha had issues and, and, and how the regulator would have dealt with it. But I think that that's very interesting and it's great to hear that that's now available on a, you know, those case studies are available on a quarterly basis. I think the other point you mentioned there around culture, I guess you're, you're you know, that that's crucial, isn't it? And maybe it's something we'll we'll touch on more as we, we move through the, the, the interview, but I, both at a national level in terms of all the, the, the promotional work um, that you've mentioned there. But also the case studies are probably very useful in, in building a, uh, or, you know, helping to build the right culture within SMEs and businesses across the country as well. Absolutely, Stephen. Yeah. And you you kind of in saying that you just trigger something in my mind in terms of I speak at an awful lot of events, as you know yourself, you and I have shared the platform on, on a couple of occasions. And quite often I will have compliance officers, compliance officers or data protection officers will come up to me at events and say, you know, such a case study was a very good, such a case study in your annual report was really, really good. And really why why it has been good for them is they've been able to bring it to say the board of directors or the C-suite executives and being able to say, look, this is what happens when we don't do things right. This is if we don't invest, not just investing for the sake of investing, and um, if we don't invest with a, with a real focus on data protection and things go wrong, these are the consequences. Like some of the some of the case studies you'll see, it's it's 
it would be a potentially what people perceive as a, as a lower level issue. Mm-hmm. But then there are some of them are very, very significant. Um, and there's lots of learnings from them all. And so, yeah, I think I think it's a very good way as well. I think the case studies for, for compliance officers or DPOs who are looking to kind of work on the culture within the organization are very important and they're very good ways of even using, using them in, in some sort of training materials um, just to show. Because you'll find... You, if you go to our website and go through some of the annual reports, you're bound to find a case study or two that you could relate to um, through your own through your own work. And you may have had a breach or you may have had an issue arise that's very similar to, to one of the case studies. So absolutely, I think they're they're really, really good way, a good tool to use um, to help in that kind of culture building. Yeah, yeah. Next kind of area to look at uh, is really around, um, I guess, engaging with other data protection authorities. So, Graeme, can you talk us through how the DPC engages with other uh, DPAs in striving for supervisory convergence and, I guess, at the same time, avoiding supervisory divergence? Yeah, I, I suppose with this one, Steve, there's a, there's a number of strands to this. Um, you know, we, we regular engagement between and with other data protection authorities kind of at a bilateral level on various issues and, and quite regularly. Um, it may be to do with specific investigations. It may just be to do with, you know, trying to share experiences um, in relation to certain issues. We've also had, as, as you're aware, um, we might come back to this later as well, we've also had a collaboration that we've done with our Croatian colleagues over the last couple of years on a, on a European-funded um, project. Um, so there's regular, there's regular interaction and engagement on a, on, a, on a pretty regular basis. And then we meet at weekly subgroups with uh, other data protection authorities. And then every month we have these plenary meetings where all of the data protection authorities attend for a couple of days. We always give an update on our big tech cross-border inquiries. So we have a, a, we have a discussion about a variety of issues with, with lots of quite frank conversations at times. But I suppose the one area, um, the, the area that's all, that gets most interest and most attention is the area around the investigations. And it's, I suppose it's to do with, you know, the cooperation and consistency mechanism that the GDPR has introduced. Yeah. Um, and we are kind of front and center more, more often than not, because I think it's nine of the top 10 big tech uh, companies are headquartered here in Ireland. Not them all. There are, there are, uh, Many tech companies, you know, such as Amazon, Netflix, Spotify, and others that are located outside of Ireland. But you know, some of the the, the big, the Facebook or the Meta, Google, Microsoft, etc. They're all they're all headquartered here in Ireland. So we're the lead supervisory authority. Yeah. So I suppose what we've seen over the first few years, and and bear in mind, Stephen, you know, it's quite often not a popular thing for me to say, but we are only just over four years into, into the GDPR. So we're still at the very, you know, we're still at, it's still at its infancy, I would say. Right. Um, and there's been a hell of a lot has been held up or um, hell of a lot has been, we've been able to bring through the process. We've been able to deliver decisions on a number of big tech cases. And in the Article 60 process, I suppose that's, that, that's been the process whereby when we conduct an investigation, 
we bring a draft decision to all the other data protection authorities across the EU. So it, it's you bring your you bring your draft decisions to what are known as concerned supervisory authorities, but in our case, they're all concerned because of the the platforms that we're dealing with. Right. So we've seen a lot of this. I think this is where when you talk about, um, I think the phrase you used was supervisory convergence. I think this is the area where you you kind of see that happen best, or, or certainly that's what the GDPR envisages. So we've had a number of cases, and um, in fact, we've brought the most cases to Article 60 to do with the big tech platforms than any other data protection authority. Um, and in, in those interesting, like, again, you might hear the headlines about, oh, such a DPA has disagreed with such a DPA when it comes to draft decision. But we've actually had over 90% approval rate in terms of the approval of our decisions. So we've, again, we published in our annual report last year, kind of a table I think it's on, from recollection, I think it's on page 66 of the report, if anybody wants to look at it. Uh, but it's a table of those um, decisions that we had brought to Article 60 up until that point in time. Um, we also list out all of the other data protection authorities and who agreed with our draft decision and who raised um, objections. And as I say, in over 90% of cases, the data protection authorities have, have approved it. So I suppose... You know, you're, you're looking at lessons to be learned from all of these cases that go to Article 60. And as I say, we're only just over four years in. I, my own view is it's going to take another number of years and we need, we need to allow it to do that. We need to allow time for us all, not just the Irish DPC, but other data protection authorities across Europe. We need to allow some time for us all to bring cases through the system um, and to see what lessons can be learned from them. Like in a number of cases, a number of the cases we've had, and, and we've very much been a pathfinder in these areas because we're the ones whose cases have come through Article 60 and Article 65 for the first time. So, you know, the two most notable ones, I suppose, from us to date have been the WhatsApp investigation that went through Article 60 and 65 and also the, the recent Instagram investigation. Yeah. Um, so just in terms of, I suppose, convergence, and I think you also used the word divergence earlier on. So, I did, I did. Yeah. <laughs> so just, I suppose, if I use the two of those as examples, the WhatsApp case went to Article 60, there were a number of objections raised. And then what happens when objections are raised is that we engage bilaterally with the various data protection authorities um, who, who raise objections. So we did that in the case of the WhatsApp, in WhatsApp, and we weren't able to resolve all of the objections. And it's important to say, I suppose, just to, to kind of paint a picture for listeners, yeah. is that quite often you go with a draft decision and you could get two objections on the draft decision and they could be two completely opposite objections. Right. So you could have one DPA saying one thing and you could have the other DPA saying a completely different thing. And then we're in the middle with our draft decision um, and we have to try and resolve that. And it's going to be, it has so far proven in some cases to be very difficult to be able to resolve such issues. There are then also occasions where something, an objection is raised with us and through engagement, we just haven't been able to resolve it. So in the WhatsApp case, it ended up going to Article 65, and a lot of the talk and a lot of the, the coverage that it, that it got was around the level of the fine and the fact that in our draft decision, um, and again, I think this is all important in terms of talking about we how we engage with, with one another, but in the, in the draft decision that we had proposed, we proposed a fine of up to 50 million euro. Ultimately, it went to Article 65, and there's a difference of how 
Article 83.3 of the GDPR has been interpreted here. So it's to do with the calculation of the fine. Okay. So our own, our own reading of Article 83.3 of the GDPR is that it says where, and I, I, I paraphrase, but it says um, where there are, where there's processing activities or link processing activities for which there are infringements, a number of infringements, that the administrative fine shall not exceed the amount specified for the most uh, grave of those infringements. Okay. So our, our interpretation of that at the time was we had a number of infringements. Um, when we did a calculation of the fines for each infringement, which we did, so each infringement had a detailed fine, the highest fine was up to 50 million. So therefore, um, the, the highest level of fine that we could impose was 50 million. Right. When it went to Article 65, the European Data Protection Board, of which we're a member, and ultimately the decision that, that was reached was it was a different decision. And the board decided to accumulate and add them all together, which gave us a fine of up to two, gave us a fine of 225 million. Okay. So when you're talking about convergence stroke divergence, you know, this process has kind of brought us to a point in time now, and, and we now have a, I suppose, a precedent set. Um, in terms of calculation of fine. That said, in that case, um, don't forget that there are now three sets of legal proceedings, right. um, two here in Ireland, and WhatsApp have also taken an annulment action against the European Data Protection Board's decision to the Court of Justice. So ultimately, on this, these kind of issues, the courts will bring kind of further clarity and I suppose ultimate clarity as, yes. to, as to what the, the system looks like. Yeah. Um, I suppose separately in our Instagram decision um, that came through there most recently, which is the one that resulted in a fine of 405 million. And I'm, I'm focusing on the fine now. I might come back to the corrective measures a little bit later, Stephen. Yeah, I, I think that would be beneficial, Graham. Absolutely. But no, yeah. uh, can, please continue. It's, it's, um, it's very interesting and relevant for our members. Good. So on the on the Instagram in the Instagram case, so when we um, again we went through the process, we went through Article sixty. There were still a small number of objections at Article sixty, and we couldn't resolve them. Okay. It went to Article sixty five. In Article sixty, when we brought our our, um, our investigation to Article sixty, we proposed a fine of up to four hundred five million. And I suppose just uh, for listeners, when we propose fines, the fine is proposed within a band. Um, and the band that we proposed in the instant case was up to 405 million. And it's only when it goes through the full process of Article 60 and if it requires Article 65 that you ultimately do the, the, the final calculation of what the fine will be right. um, based on the infringements that have, been, that have been found. So we had nine infringements and that we found. And uh, we, as I say, we had a band of up to 405 million. The EDPB did introduce an additional infringement in this case, and they said that obviously with the infringement there was to be an additional fine, and that fine calculated up to 20 million euro. So ultimately then when we added that infringement and the fine from the other nine that we had proposed, the actual figure ended up being exactly 405 million euro, right. um, which, is a, which is a colossal amount of money. But again, I suppose that's how the system has worked. So We've, we, we, we've had those two come through. We've also had other cases. For example, we had a, a Facebook, um, we had one on Facebook that was to do with a, it was an inquiry opened in relation to 12 breaches, 12 breach notifications that we received from Facebook right. back, back where we, we received them in a very short period of time. Um, and that was a case that uh, we brought to the, to the Article 60 process. Um, and there were, 
there were a couple of comments that were raised, but actually it did, we all agreed um, on the decision. It didn't go to Article 65, and that resulted in a fine of 17 million euro for Facebook, um, which, which hasn't, and Facebook have said they, they aren't appealing. So that will just be one that we would bring to the courts um, to have, because as you know yourself, whenever we impose a fine, we then must bring it to the, to the court to have the court confirm it. That's right. That will be happening um, that will be happening late in November of this year. So that, so that fine and, and actually a number of other fines, I think, are, are, are going to be confirmed on that, on that day. Okay. No, that's, that's really interesting, Graham. Thanks for talking us through that in, in a good bit of detail. And I guess what many listeners, including myself, um, we sometimes forget, as you say, we're, we are only four years into GDPR or four, four and a bit years. And it's been so omnipresent in many senses and both within businesses and also in the media as well, that, as you say, it's about allowing time and um, uh, lessons to be learned as, as, as you work through our Article 60 and, and the other processes as well. So, no, I, I, th- I think that's very helpful to members. In the next area I'd like to look at is international data transfers. And I think it's fair to say we've seen significant developments around um, uh, this area uh, in recent years. And it's one that many businesses find complex and particularly SMEs that might not have the resources of some of the bigger firms. Can you give us a view as to how you see this area developing in the next two to three years? Yeah, I suppose, Tim, and I do have to be very careful what I say on this, because sure, sure. as you're aware, we have a live investigation um, at the moment in relation to uh, Facebook's transfers uh, of personal data using standard contractual clauses to the US. Yeah. But I suppose just to, and again, most of your listeners would probably know this, so apologies if I'm borrowing those who do, um, but just to give a small bit of context to uh, how we got to where we're, where we're at today, so we've been dealing with this issue for a number of years now, um, and uh, we've, we went to the Irish High Court um, a number of years ago seeking a reference case to be brought to the CJU, um, and it was to pose a series of questions um, in this area, mm-hmm. and the, the Irish High Court agreed that this was, this was warranted and indeed needed, um, and those questions, there was a hearing, a very lengthy, I think it was a six-week hearing before the CJU, um, and then the CJU delivered a judgment in July 2020. Nice. Um, and in that judgment, what the CJU did was it invalidated the EU-US agreement uh, known as Privacy Shield. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the two big areas was it was, it, it was invalidated for reasons to do with US surveillance, Um, and also to do with redress that's afforded to to citizens in the EU and as we all know and we've to have a we've to have the same level of protection as EU citizens when our data moves outside of the EU so for these two reasons and these two main reasons the the court invalidated the the agreement However, in terms of the standard contractual clauses, and, and again, listeners will be very familiar with, with these clauses that many companies use, the court didn't invalidate it. This was a case to do with Facebook's transfers, and the court didn't invalidate the standard contractual clauses. Um, as we know, these are used for companies globally, so not just used for uh, transfers from the EU to the US. However, what the court said was that DPAs had to deal with the use of standard contractual clauses on a case-by-case basis. Right. So that was, that was in July 2020. Um, the next step then was once we got this decision from the court, we, we, we within a number, of, a number of weeks, I think around six weeks, 
we actually opened an inquiry under the GDPR into Facebook's transfers um, to the US using the SECs. Um, because we had been dealing with Facebook. It was a, it was a Facebook case that we'd been dealing with all along. Um, within a, within, in September of 2020, um, Facebook and actually um, Max Rams of None of Your Business, uh, who, was, uh, who had taken, who brought a complaint to us in, in the early days, right, um, yeah. they actually both put in a judicial review against our inquiry and um, continue. Our inquiry was to look at the, as I say, the transfers for all EU citizens. Um, the court at the time put a stay on our inquiry pending the outcome of a hearing. Um, Max Rems and NOIB settled, um, settled their judicial review with us. Um, however, the, the review with Facebook um, was, or the, sorry, the hearing with Facebook uh, took place in late 2020 into January 2021. Okay. Um, it was clear, it came out in the hearing, obviously it was clear that that decision at the time, we, we had gone to Facebook with a preliminary draft decision, um, and it was pretty much on the basis of the CJU ruling um, to do with the suspension of transfers. Mm -hmm. um, but the, as I say, the, the hearing took place. Um, the court then uh, made its ruling in May of 2021. And in that, the, the court uh, dismissed Facebook's judicial review, um, and allowed us to continue with our, they lifted the stay on the, on the inquiry and allowed us to do it. Something that's actually very significant in that, in that court case, Stephen, um, was that the, the court kind of made a decision in favour of us, which clarified that we have a, a wide discretion to set our own procedures appropriate to any case and circumstances that we're dealing with. Right, okay. Subject to fair procedures, fair procedures. That was very important because that was kind of something that was that was um, brought to the court in terms of us having a very, we should be doing something in this way or we should be doing something in, the other, in another way in terms of how we run the inquiry. But the court actually, as I say, said, we had a wide discretion ourselves to determine um, how we, how we um, set our own procedures in the case. Yeah, yeah. So the... The stay was lifted and the court did say as part of the ruling that we needed to engage further um, with, with Facebook, which we, which we did. Um, and then ultimately we brought a, we continued, had a lot of engagement with them. We then brought a draft decision to Article 60, um, which I've gone through that process earlier on. We've had a number of objections uh, raised on that draft decision that we've been trying to resolve. Um, I can't get in obviously to the content of what the decision is. Um, however, we are, we've kind of, we've, we've, as I say, we've been engaging with other data protection authorities in the EU. Um, and uh, I do think that it will probably end up now going to article 60 very soon. Right, um, right. We haven't been able to resolve all of the objections. So that's where we are with our, um, our investigation, as I say, Unfortunately, I can't go into too much more detail. I suppose in addition to that, as everybody will know, both the EU Commission and the US are currently working on a new transfers agreement, uh, international transfer agreement between the, between the EU and the US. Yeah. Um, kind of, I suppose, a, a privacy shield mark too. And, you know, that's, that's happening. But at the same time, whilst that's happening, we're still getting on with our, with our, our inquiry and our draft decision. So, um, 
don't have a huge amount in terms of timing of errors. But you know, if I was a, if I was a betting person, I would be saying that I think you'll probably be talking about there, there, there should be if it goes to Article sixty, we'll probably have a decision and um, sometimes to sometime towards the end of maybe quarter one. Okay. Uh, 2023 on our on our decision and then as i say and um, we'll see where the, the eu and the us gets um, in terms of their new agreement yeah no that, that that's very interesting and and look just from, from my own personal perspective i mean it, it does seem that the best way forward would be that type of a new agreement as you say a, a privacy shield uh, mark 2 or 2.0 <clears throat> between the eu and the us um so no thanks thanks for that graham that's that's very helpful um in terms of looking at the area of policy and fines, and we obviously mm. covered a little bit of ground on that earlier, um, but I guess while fines typically make the headlines, there's often more meaningful outcomes that come from changing processing and uh, changes to processing and other fixes that a business must apply um, going forward. So can you talk us through that aspect? Because I think members will find that, that quite interesting. As I say, the fine makes the headline, but some of these other actions are often more meaningful in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. I'm delighted you're asking that question, Stephen, because I, I I really believe it's kind of an area of data protection regulation that that doesn't get enough. It doesn't get half enough airtime, I don't think, because, as you say, it really is the area that has a big impact. Look, fines, fines happen. Fines are going to happen. Fines are going to continue to happen. Fines have their place in all of this. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, they, they've to fines are there. They have to be proportionate. They have to be dissuasive. They have to have an impact and they absolutely do you know as you say they make the headlines quite often that in itself is a massive thing because it's what gets the public grabs the public's attention and again going back to conversation what i said earlier on about conversations i've had with dpos and compliance officers who say they want to see fines coming because it's the fines that they can bring to the to the board of directors or c-suite executives you're, you're right the stakeholders that's the, that's the thing that gets them to sit up so to speak uh, absolutely yeah. yeah absolutely so look I, I in no in no way am i looking to diminish the importance of fines they absolutely have an importance and they will continue to happen no question about that sure however when you talk about the other area, which is the corrective measures, I'm going to just talk, take myself out of the DPC for a second and talk about myself as a parent. Sure. I have a 15 year old son who uh, uses social media. Um, and, you know, this Instagram case is a really, really good example. So the Instagram case that we had, um, we had an individual, a US data scientist by the name of David Steyer, who came to us with some findings um, from research he'd conducted um, and it was actually fitting with something we'd become aware of um, to do with Instagram at the time. And Instagram enables, again, your listeners are probably well aware of this, but Instagram enables people to create business accounts. Right. Um, and at the time, it was enabling business accounts to be set up and children um, could set up business accounts as well. And there was a, there's an attractiveness around the business accounts in that there's better analytics for people who are kind of viewing and liking your stuff etc right right um and i know from my own son because my own son was was uh, as it turned out was in school they were in the business class were actually setting business accounts they were doing a, a kind of a, a kind of a dummy project all okay. of the students in the class yeah so at the time what was actually happening was um with those business accounts when um when my son sets up his business account i could go onto his business account and I could look at his pals in his classroom 
And I could see, I'm not saying I did do this, by the way, Stephen, just to be clear, I'm just yeah, saying I could do the, this. Theoretical, theoretical. <laughs> but like, I, I could have gone on and I could have seen the contact details, um, you know, phone number, email address yeah. um, of those of those children. So obviously there was a massive, massive issue um, with this. So we opened the investigation and we've all, I've already gone through the whole fining process and how that how we came to the fine. However, um, during the course of the first year of that investigation, yeah. Instagram changed their practice. And at that point in time, the changes that they the changes that they made meant that my son or anybody else, any other children out there who were setting up these business accounts, their the personal data, such as the contact details, wasn't set to public uh, by default it was set to private right right and so i'm talking as a parent for me the 405 million euro fine doesn't mean anything to me as a parent yeah you know it, it, it's it, it's just something that got headlines but for me what really makes a difference as a parent is that my son is safer now going on to the platform and um, if he wants to to set up business accounts etc and um, and I think that that's incredibly, it's an incredibly strong message and it's an incredibly important area. The same thing happened with the WhatsApp. If you take the WhatsApp investigation that we had, um, like, as I said earlier, there's three sets of proceedings before the courts. Right. However, that inquiry was all to do with WhatsApp's transparency. Mm. And WhatsApp, even though they are appealing the decisions, yeah. they have updated and made the changes to their privacy policy um, to make the privacy policy more transparent. So the corrective measure, even though there's even though there's challenges coming, the corrective measures have already been put in place. Okay. And in terms of how we, if, if I if I jump back to the Insta, Instagram one for a second, hmm. um, not only did I make those changes 12 months ago, but on foot of the findings and our decision, we've also recommended additional corrective measures. And we've given three months and we're going to supervise Instagram making those changes that are required in line with the decision that's being made. Yeah. Um, so there are just a couple of examples in the big tech field. There's also examples nationally, you know, because again, quite often the, the, the narrative is all around big tech. Um, yeah. But there's also examples here domestically whereby, you know, and again, these uh, decisions are on our website, but in terms of uh, corrective measures that we've imposed in relation to CCTV of local authorities. Um, you know, and yes, the fines take place, but actually you're saying you need to do X, Y, or Z. You need to turn off cameras here. You need to do this. Yes. That's really the bit that it, it's what makes the change. It's what the area of non-compliance that we find within our, within our investigations, it's actually bringing that into compliance and for the man on the, the man or the woman on the street, what that does is it makes it makes things better for you as an end user. Yeah, um, and makes things more more safe for you as, as an end user. I'd say. Yeah, no, that's really helpful because you know I'm obviously a parent myself as well, and uh, you know I think knowing that um, these initiatives and these actions that are taken are actually having a meaningful impact in terms of keeping kids safer is, is um, hugely important. Mm. Um, I, I think at the same time as well, what you've touched on there is, is very interesting in that it, it's trying to get a message out in terms of to SMEs and to individuals in terms of how these decisions are meaningful to them. 
uh, when maybe sometimes, as you say, what they mainly hear in the headlines are, you know, another fine for big tech, or it, it, it may almost feel like it's it's mainly um, something that sits within the within the remit or area of, of big tech rather than something that affects absolutely all of us. Um, you know, I think that's I think that's really helpful, Graham. Um, and I think I think, Stephen, I think Stephen, sorry for interrupting you, but I think that's where the decisions on our website and the case studies on the website play a really important part for um for for the compliance officers dpos smes whoever it may be yeah. that you can go on them and you can see the ones that you know that are not necessarily big tech you can see the ones that you can relate more to depending on on what area of work you you're in yeah yeah no absolutely and even i know it's not an area we've touched on particularly but even on the privacy side uh, you know I, I find some of the um the case studies that are there as well to be hugely helpful too so no, that's uh, that that's um that's very useful. Thanks, Graham. Um, and now another area we might look at, and I know it's very it's very much an ongoing project, is is the ARC project, the awareness raising campaign. So, I know in May of this year, the DPC hosted a conference in, in Crow Park, and you and I, I think you alluded to it earlier. We were we were on one of the panels there, uh, and it was specifically focusing on SMEs and their needs, um, as part of the DPC strategy to communicate more with this audience. Can you give us some more background on the ARC project and, and what the plans are around it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, it's actually just finished, Stephen. It was a, it was to be a two-year project, but obviously right. COVID came in in the middle of it all. Yeah. Um, so things were, were, were pushed out. So right. back in 2019, um, we were approached by the Croatian Data Protection Authority to ask us if we would partner with themselves and Vrije University in Brussels. Um, and it was on a, on a project targeting SME compliance. Um, so I suppose this is probably a follow-on for us from pre-GDPR. So back in 2017, we actually saw the SME community as a, as a real key stakeholder for us to engage with. And mm -hmm. um, so we did a lot of work in awareness raising with SMEs back then. And we held a conference ourselves in January. Of, uh, I joined the DPC in October 2017. And in right. January 2018, we had a conference in Dublin Castle, really successful conference, about 700 attendees, um, mainly from the SME and public sector. Right. Um, and we brought along some of the uh, some of the DPOs from some of the big tech firms to kind of give uh, give talks to people to let them see everybody's facing the same challenges. It's just it's about scale and it's yeah. about you know ability to 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 meet those challenges. So we agreed with the Croatian DPA. We were delighted to get to get back on to get on board with them. Um, we did a lot and um, we, we, we did we did a lot and yet we didn't do as much as we really wanted to in terms of we wanted to get out and and, and about and get around the country um, and do lots of workshops. Um, we got to do some in the end, but we ended up doing quite a lot of them um, virtually um, due to restrictions. Um, and as you say, we hosted a conference um, earlier this year that yourself myself attended in Crow Park. Um, and again, the feedback from it was really, really positive. We do intend, um, you're asking kind of about going forward. Yes. We, we do intend to continue doing, we, we, we'll have more big conferences like that one, but we do intend going forward to continue running the likes of the webinars and podcasts ourselves with SMEs and others. Yeah. And we have established, as, you, as you're aware, we've established a, a DPC, DPO network. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, really, this is about we've got over a thousand members signed up to this network now at this stage. 
And really what this is about is this is about us facilitating kind of peer-to-peer learning and engagement. Um, and now that we've come out of lockdown, we absolutely will be, will be organizing in 2023 a number of events um, regionally. And we, we, we're going to look at doing something national next year again, okay. um, where we bring people together and, um, and we look at kind of the learnings from, from one another. Um, and you know yourself, just human nature being as it is sometimes like i, I would often speak to a, a data protection officer in particular somebody might be new to a role and they feel completely swamped and out of their depth and imagine yeah 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 and and they would say something to you and the first thing that i'd be saying back in most circumstances oh i hear this all the time and even that sentence yeah quite often puts people at their ease to know genia i'm not the only person who's ever who's ever experienced this so i think getting people together to share those experiences that they have for us to be involved in it, but also for us to know when to step out of the room and to let, to let DPOs and compliance officers speak honestly. Maybe there are conversations they want to have where they don't want the regulator in the room. Yeah. Um, so, so that's the Japan plan. Has rules. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. That's, that, that's, the, that's the plan. Um, yeah, yeah. In terms of, I suppose, some of the findings that we've had from the ARC project. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very evident to us that companies and entities, they, they want to comply with the regulations. That's really, really, that's really came out to us. And um, not that we needed a, a project like this to tell us that. But the problem is what really, what was really evident is they're not always sure how to be compliant. So we've, we've done a number of things. We've set up a DPO specific page on our website so I'd encourage people to go and, and look at that. Also, our Twitter, our social media channels, we really are focusing on guidance and really bearing SMEs in mind um, when, we're, when we're doing that guidance. Nice. We've also, as I said, that de- data protection officer network, we have a dedicated email address for data protection officers and it's DPO network at dataprotection.ie. So I'd say make contact with us. Um, any issues that you have, what, what, it will, what it also helps is it helps us focus our own attention in terms of when we're going to run webinars or podcasts, et cetera, it would help focus our attention on, on the areas of most needs um, for, for the, the compliance community. Nice. Um, the second thing then that really struck me was to do a breach mitigate mitigations. You know, it's it's this thing that data protection is not just one and done. Um, you know, you, you've had you've had an issue and it's dealt with, so that's the end of it. You don't have to worry about it again. Yeah. We we did find I was, I was speaking with the team um, who were involved with the project much more than I was. Um, we are finding that there are many entities that fa- are fail failing to kind of keep their processes under review. Okay, um, so they kind of. GDPR came in in 2018, lots of work was done, um, but that's, that's, there, that's work that needs to be kept under review because otherwise you've got the potential for risk to creep in. You're right. And, and I guess we're also seeing, Graham, aren't we, a, a lot of churn in, in staff across all businesses. So, I mean, even if people were trained up in 2018 or beyond that, yeah. there's a constant need for renewal, isn't there? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and I suppose, and we go back to the very, very outset of this uh, chat, Steve, when you were talking about culture. Yeah. You know, to mitigate against breaches that occur, 
you really need to assure, ensure that your staff are alive to the fact that data protection within an organization is everybody's responsibility. It's not just the DPO's responsibility yeah. or the compliance officer. It's everybody's responsibility. And that's a cultural thing that you need to get people, you need to get buy-in from that. So, you know, this is like, there's almost a vicious circle going on here. I absolutely understand when DPOs say to me, oh, we need to see decisions. We need to see X, Y, and Z because that's, that's what helps us get, get the message across. There are lots of those decisions have come through. I start using the decisions to help you internally have those conversations um, but really may try and get that message across as no doubt the listeners are all doing anyway, but to get that message across, it's not just my responsibility because I have the data protection officer title mm. to be responsible for data protection within this organization. It's everybody's responsibility. Yeah. Um, and that, again, that was something that was coming through. That was the feedback we were getting from DPOs and um, whilst we were conducting that, that, that project. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. And, and even going back to some of our earlier uh, part of our conversation, you know, so, so much of, of this is around kind of data protection by design and defaults, that, that kind of principle within, within GDPR. And to me, it always seems it's that mix of the processes and the procedures, also that culture piece, because yeah. really if, if one exists without the other, um, it, it's, it's never going to be an ideal um, scenario, really, is it? You know? No, no, absolutely not. And, and I suppose the final thing, and this is going to sound, the listeners are going to say, he's cuckoo talking about such a basic thing. Sure. But really, for me, one of the key things, and again, it really became evident through the project, is know your data. Yeah. Everything starts from there. Like, true compliance, it's only possible where data controllers know what data they hold and why they hold it. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of advantages can be, you know, for anybody who's new and um, new to a role and um, have a look at the data that the organization processes. And there's lots of advantages to doing so. Yeah. Um, you know, you may uh, you may and probably will if you haven't done it um, in any great detail before now, you'll identify data you don't need to have. And, yeah. um, you know, you you can possibly get rid of data that you you, you don't need to be processing any longer reduces and reduces the risk of breaches, etc. Um, so as I say, some listeners might be surprised to be hearing me talking about something so basic, sure. but it really does remain the case that we're consistently seeing issues coming before us that really have their roots, I suppose, in the fact that the organization isn't fully sure what data they are processing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. again, back to first principles, I'd say, um, that's the starting point for anybody. Know your data, keep reviewing it, um, it's not standstill. It's not a, a, a once done and now we're, we're, we're done forevermore. Um, just have it as part of your process that you, you know, wh whatever, whatever process works for you, whether it's a six month, a 12 month, whatever review of, of, of things. Um, and uh, again, if you do it properly, can mitigate risks um, and can also just, just help you. And really important, I think, for people who are new to the role, you talk about churn. Absolutely. I've seen lots and lots of churn over the last four years. Um, so if you're new to a role, I'd say that's your starting point. Start reviewing what data your organization has. It's a great point to make, Graham. And, you know, I guess so many businesses as a result of COVID and the lockdown, they're going through quite substantial digital transformation processes uh, at the moment. So it's, it's, it's you know, it's 
it's even more relevant and pertinent in, in, in that perspective. And it's, it's also linked, obviously, with, I guess, the point that the DPC has been making recently about that record of processing activities, isn't it, as well? Exactly, yeah. Article 30 requirement, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Very good. Okay, well, just um, as, as a kind of final section to cover, and I think it's one that many members would be interested in, uh, we, we touched on it briefly just in, in the introduction, but can you tell us about your own role as head of corporate affairs, media and communications in the, DP, in the DPC? Maybe talk to us a little bit about that. And uh, I, um, from my own background, I'm, I came from a marketing and communications um, uh, background too. So I, I'd, I'd just be very interested if you could talk us through your, your, your journey and, and that role. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I joined the DPC myself, uh, Stephen, back in October 2017. As you said right, in the right. intro, I was previously head of communications and research with the Garda Ombudsman Commission and then with Susie, the student grants body. Um, they'd, had a, they'd had a difficult first year and there was a government review conducted that uh, recommended the, the creation of a head of comms role. So I worked there and then came to the DPC just as head of communications um, in October 2017, just in the build up to, to May 2018, the introduction of GDPR. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, since then, in 2019, I was actually appointed a deputy commissioner um, and my role expanded from just a comms role to, as you said earlier, on corporate affairs as well. So on the corporate affairs front, I'm responsible for finance um, and we're, you know, the commissioner, uh, Helen Dixon, is the accounting officer for the DPC. So, you know, we're accountable directly to the Oireachtas through the Public Accounts Committee and um, we uh, we have you know CNAG comes in and, and audits us every year as do our own um, internal auditors. Uh, we have an audit and risk committee which I'm a, which I'm the DPC member on. Right. Um, delighted to say we have become our own accounting officer for the last two years. So um, the first two years were 2020 and 2021 that the CNAG audited the DPC on their own on, on our own in our own right. Okay. Um, and in both those years, we've got completely full, clean audits, which was which is great. So, so uh, you know, it's, I suppose a testament to the to the organisation in terms of the governance structures and, and how we manage that. Um, I'm also responsible for kind of HR, um, so people, nice. Nice. people, um, and learning, um, so we've become our own employer since uh, late 2021. Um, before that, we were still employees of the Department of Justice. But the DPC now is uh, is his own employer, and obviously with that comes a significant amount of work. There's a really really good team that I have uh, working with me on yeah. the people and learning front. So we're at 200 staff at the moment, or there thereabouts, um, and we will be aiming to get up to over 250 now over the next 12 months. So as you right. can imagine, there's a there's a lot of work there, and and I suppose. With my comms hat on, our internal communication strategy is really, really important in an organisation that's that scaling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, lots of lots of new staff coming, and um, yeah. then obviously I'm responsible for procurement, governance, and risk, etc. So that's that's on the corp the corporate side of things. Extremely yeah. busy, extremely good people that I work with on, on that side of, that side of the house, and then on the other side, which is the side I was originally brought in for, which is the communication side. As yeah. I said, we, we have a very um, we have a, a comprehensive internal comms uh, strategy, mm-hmm. um, and the internal comms strategy really is 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 is, is it's critical. As I said, for such a for such a, a, a growing and scaling organization, yeah. um, 
And on the exter external comm side, there's a number of strands to this, I suppose. Um, you know, we have, I'm responsible for all of our publications, so our, our annual report um, that we do every year. And as I said, at the, I said earlier on during the, the chat, it's a really important piece of work for us, firstly, because uh, we're required to do so um, uh, under the legislation, and we're required to publish our report by the end of June every year. However, kind of my own view on actual reports and it's just a personal view is that you know the, you really should be aiming to get them done as early in a year as possible because it's certainly a data protection world six months is an awful long time yeah um, and so the last number of years since i've arrived we've um we've done our annual report now in february each year puts a lot of pressure on the teams across the organization to get everything done but i think it's very important to get it done so so early in the year and um, as I said, it gives a good opportunity to engage with media and, and other stakeholders. Absolutely. Um, we also, there's a team on the, there's a, as part of the comms team, um, there are a number of individuals who are responsible for managing the, our social media platforms. So we have an Instagram account, a Twitter account, and a LinkedIn account. So we put out quite a lot of, as I've mentioned earlier, quite a lot of guidance. And um, we're looking at doing, we've done some podcasts um we've done blogs um and we really want to start moving towards more webinars and videos um yeah. and we want to do the likes of biannual um e-newsletters for dpos in particular relevance to smes okay yeah that would be very helpful I, I, yeah yeah i think and we, we now that we have like we will we, obviously engage with them through the dpo network but we look at creating some sort of a newsletter that will have you know for the previous six months some of the key case studies and um, and links to various areas on our on our website. So proactively get out there and and, and work with work with people. Yeah. Um, then I suppose we we've also got um like we've we've talked through them both really, but the DPO network uh, sits under my area of responsibility as well. So again, it's an important thing, and as did the the Arc project that we just discussed earlier on. Yeah. Um, so any of those bespoke type engagement um, projects. And then I suppose stakeholder engagement, in particular media media engagement, um, obviously uh, sits under my area, and it's probably it's probably the area that takes up most of my time. Right. Okay. Um, you know, we you know there there could be a a breach could take place, um, or there's a there's a big news story, and um, I could be woken at half five, quarter six in the morning by Morning Ireland looking to do something, and then you could still be going at 11 half 11 in the evening with the kind of the west side the west coast of america media because the interest in us and um, due to the platforms that are here the high profile so, absolutely absolutely yeah. yeah so there's quite a lot of there's quite a lot of reactive and mm. um, but equally there's proactive and um, you know we do our press releases around the the, the big cases um, around items of um, in, that, that i believe are of interest mm. to, to the public yeah. um, quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of media interviews um, I do quite a bit of there's quite a bit of travel to Brussels in particular and okay. um, to attend the odd plenary session and um, to engage with with European media and um, then we would go to the we go to the US on a couple of I've been to the US on a couple of occasions and um, again speaking at conferences is, is a big part of the role we, we get in a significant amount of invitations every week probably I'd say on average, probably around 15 invitations per week to speak at events. Okay. So we have an invitations committee within the DPC. So it's 
you know, it's, we go through it as a, as a, as a group. Yeah. Um, we go through the, the um, each invitation and we see which one kind of a, really gets the best bang for the book type thing, Stephen, in terms of yeah. investment of your time and all absolutely, that. absolutely. So there's quite there's quite a lot around the the various conferences I speak at. The likes of what I'm doing here today, I really I want us to be doing more and more of this because um, I think these conversations are really really important for it gives people outside the DPC kind of insights to our work, but also gives us an opportunity to get really some of the key messages that we believe. Um, are important out there yeah um so uh that's it really Stephen. that's that's all that's all that's that's a wide-ranging brief (laughs) (laughs) that is a wide-ranging brief and and most likely you mentioned the scaling there towards the the 250 mark it's uh it's going to get busier really isn't it over the over the the coming years you know it's um, oh absolutely no no question like we've got We've only spoken about, I suppose, I've only spoken about the likes of the WhatsApp, the Instagram decision, the other Facebook yeah, yeah. decision. There have been a few others, but there's a really strong pipeline. Like at this moment in time, as 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 we speak, we've got uh, we've seven we've seven cases, seven investigations that are currently in that Article 60 process. Right. And, and of those, three of them are all three of them will be in Article 65. I'd imagine very very shortly. Yeah. Um, and then following behind them, we've got another seven cases that are very, very close to getting to Article 60. Yeah. Um, so like these are these are the real big ticket uh, cases for for um, that that attract all of the attention. So certainly on my end, in terms of my role, um, you know, I'm expecting I'm expecting the remainder of 2022 and 2023 to probably be busier than I've than I've had uh, heretofore, and it's been very busy until now. <laughs> Yeah. it's all about work-life balance i guess and uh, <laughs> and, and keep taking the baraka isn't that the phrase <laughs> yeah. so my wife so my wife keeps telling me and then i tell her okay my work-life balance i might go for a game of golf and she tells me that's not quite what she meant <laughs> <laughs> no that's, that's very good well look you've you've been very generous with your time uh for the podcast graham so really appreciate that on behalf of the listeners are there any final observations you'd like to to share with us at this stage um, I suppose one, one thing that, I, that I, I try and get across to, to this kind of audience, Stephen, is never waste, and, and as, as bizarre as this may sound, never waste a breach. Yeah. So if you hear of something happening in the media, you know, it doesn't even have to have happened in your organization. If you hear of something that's happened in the media, think about how your organization will be impacted if you face a similar set of circumstances. Right. You know, it's... Uh, you know, if the if the hypothetical situation flags up risks, yeah. You know, when when you look at it, try and find ways. Think of ways that you can mitigate them before yeah. you ever actually have to face that real life situation. Yeah. I think that's really important. I, like I know it's it's the it's cliche. Prevention is better than cure, but it absolutely is. Um, so I would say I know people are incredibly busy, you know, like uh, I'm, I'm saying my role, but people out there are, are, are equally and, and busier than I am. Um, but this is for, for the short term pain. I think sometimes there is absolutely a longer term gain. So I think that's really important. If you hear of something and you think, oh, that is the type of thing that could possibly happen in the area that I work in, kind yeah. of have a look at it and see um, see how you how you would how your organization would be impacted by it. And then I suppose, as I said previously, in terms of getting information, um, 
go onto our website, www.dataprotection.ie. Um, you'll get lots of information in terms of case studies, guidance documents, and um, that DPO specific page. Um, and then finally, please reach out to us um, if there's anything at all um, for that DPO network, which is DPO network at dataprotection.ie. Reach out to us with any ideas, any suggestions, any concerns, any questions you have. We'll come back to you. Um, but in particular, the suggestions, you know, if there are, if your listeners have areas that they would like to hear more about, let us know because it will help us target then when we're going to run webinars uh, later in the year and into 2023. Very good. No, I appreciate that. And what we'll do as well, Graham, is we'll include, you've given a number of um, website URLs and, and emails there. We'll, we'll make sure that's included uh, in the notes with the podcast as well. Um, I think that'll be very helpful for listeners. So I guess it just uh, leaves it to me to say, you know, thank you, obviously, for sharing your expertise in this topic. I think learners will really, or our listeners will really find it of, of benefit. Um, and we've covered a wide range of areas uh, over the past hour or so. Um, to our listeners, thank you for listening to the Compliance Files podcast, which has been brought to you by the Compliance Institute. Uh, I do hope that you found the podcast interesting and useful. And we'd be very grateful if you would review or rate this podcast. So until the next episode, thank you and goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Compliance Files. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to ensure you don't miss out on future episodes.